Hello, welcome to This Week in the Atlantic Coast Conference, the podcast for allsportsdiscussion.com. This is Jeff, one of your podcast co-hosts, and you can follow me on Twitter at TalkinACCSports. The podcast moderator is Matthew, and you can follow him at ASD underscore Hokie Smash. I'm going to turn it over to Matthew now as he introduces a very special guest. Oh, we don't have uh, Matthew on with us just yet. Um, we're going to step out of the ACC this week for one of the best sporting events in the country. And we're also, we're going to talk about the Final Four, but we're also going to talk about college hockey. Uh, college hockey is taking center stage this week, and we've got a ACC Nation. You can follow Will on Twitter at Will's World MN and the ACC Nation account at ACC Nation. All right, we're still waiting on Matthew to join, uh, but we can go ahead and get started. All right, Will, tell us about yourself. And if you can please mute yourself when you're not talking. Um, tell us about yourself, what you're working on, and what's going on at ACC Nation. Well, first, Jeff, good to talk to you. Um, I know Matthew will be joining us shortly, but uh, always good to catch up with you. Um, I know this is like the one time a year you're kind of gonna just gonna sit back and chill and let us go go do our thing. But yeah, so as Jeff mentioned, yeah, I'm I'm with ACC Nation. Um, we we also do a weekly podcast and. You know, some writing and we do a lot of a lot of stuff we get we are also available on youtube um just search out acc nation we we do some uh we do a lot of different like things we'll do some uh, youtube only content we'll do some podcast only content but generally our weekly podcasts are accessible both on on youtube and on your platform of choice um so I'm, let say I'm from the Twin Cities. This is why I generally do this every year, um, doing the Frozen Four. I live in uh, the Minneapolis suburbs, um, but grew up in Virginia. That's kind of where the connection is. I've, I've known these guys, if you're new to do the podcast, I've known them almost since the beginning. Of they've been doing this. Um, so, and just generally, this is a, a yearly thing where I come on to talk a little Frozen Four. So, uh, very glad to always come in and uh, talk to you guys. All right, very good, Will. And this this show that we have each year is always a treat for me because I'm not a big college hockey guy, but you guys educate me on it. And you know, when I see the teams on ESPN, I'm like, hey, yeah, I heard that um, from Will and Matthew. So looking forward to the rest of this uh, podcast. Um, so next question we have here for you, Will. Um, it's it's cool here that the Frozen Four is returning to Tampa. Is that a good site for it, right? Well, you know, it's not my favorite site personally, but I get what they're trying to do here because you know that's not an act a big area for 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 hockey. I don't believe they have any college hockey teams down there yet. So I think what the, the point of putting it down in Tampa is to try to grow grow the game down there, and maybe eventually you'll get one of these teams to be, you know, to eventually be a D1 hockey team. Uh, if, I mean, Arizona, ha Arizona State has their own hockey program. They just started up 
a few years ago. So they're, you know, so we, they're trying to get it in these warm weather spots, but yeah, Tampa's, you know, I just don't know if Tampa, Florida is exactly the kind of place it's going to work, but it's worth the shot. Now, next year they're doing it right. They're going to have the frozen four up here in St. Paul, which is in my opinion, the best place. So obviously I'm a little bit biased because it's, you know, 15 minutes up the road from where I live. And as Matthew well knows, it's a great place. All right. And we've got Matthew here on board. Um, Anything um, from your side on that, Matthew? And um, yeah, over this next segment on college hockey, I'll be turning it over to you. I'm thrilled that it's going back to Minnesota. That is, I'm, I'm right with Will. Sorry, I was having technical difficulties here before. So I, I'm happy to join you all here. And yes, I'm I'm, thr- I'm thrilled that it's going back to Minnesota next year. I guess you've got a lot of people that are going to be happy to happy to go to Tampa this year because they're tired of winter, quite frankly, in the Midwest, in the Midwest and the Northeast. But Minnesota, Massachusetts, and to a degree, Michigan. I, I guess you say the three M's are usually where you you're going to see the highest attendance for the Frozen Four. I think I'm with I'm with Will on that. Well, before we get to other hockey college uh, college hockey questions, I have a question for you. Fire away. Did you know that Mike London was a detective? <laughs> Drink. Oh, and by the way, Matthew, you didn't need to remind me about how this winter has gone. Obviously, you've been, you know, you've made your trips to Fargo, and obviously you still have family there, and they've sent you plenty of pictures. I mean, we're here, we're recording on the evening of March 26th, and I still got – a good at least foot of snow still in my yard and hasn't melted yet. Oh my gosh. Hopefully it's over soon. Hopefully it's over soon. Will. so give us your Hobie Baker winner. This is the award that goes to the top player in college hockey. It's hockey's Heisman. Will. Yeah. I feel like the, the field is stronger this year compared to last year. I know when we, when we were doing this last year, I had a really hard time trying to figure it out eventually the person I picked, they ended up winning the, winning the Hobie Baker was the goalie, the goalie from, uh, I believe it was Mankato or whatever, one of the Minnesota teams this year. I think, I think it's a two person race. I think it's either going to be Adam Fentilli of uh, Michigan leads all of college hockey in points, uh, even though he's missed some time. The other one, I think it, it could be is Logan Cooley. Who's a freshman here at Minnesota centers one of the best lines in all college hockey and you know that could be like a best player on the best team pick but i i i could i think i'd probably pick one of those two and probably lean towards fantilli very good sir that's outstanding analysis outstanding analysis so take a look at the frozen four field and give us your thoughts will I think the three out of the four are pretty, or they're pretty chalky. Um, just the way they've gotten there. I mean, Minnesota, as I mentioned, they were the overall number one seed, beat Canisius nine to two in their opening game, and then uh, beat St. Cloud State four to one. So the over, um, they beat St. Cloud State, beat Minnesota State. So you had three Minnesota teams playing up in Fargo, up in the, the first round, uh, the first and second rounds. Uh, which, you know, obviously drew a lot of Minnesotans up there. Um, yeah, Minnesota not being a, not a surprise. Michigan just won in overtime moments before recording over Penn State. Um, again, not a huge surprise. They were the number three overall seed. 
Now, Quinnipiac, the number two overall seed, they were able to beat Ohio State four to one in the, in their matchup. And the, I think the biggest surprise of them all is BU. Um, Denver lost their opening game. They were the number four overall seed. They lost to Cornell, got shut out two nothing. Uh, but BU beat Western Michigan, then went on and edged out Cornell. Uh, they're the they're the they're the biggest surprise of this, but you know, still a really good team. Um, it's a it's a strong field, obviously. Um, you're going to have a lot of Minnesotans who, as Matthew mentioned, looking to get out of this frozen tundra. Although it's actually been warming up nicely lately, but it's still you know Tampa right now is a lot better than than Minneapolis, and probably something similar for Boston. It's a lot warmer. All these uh, these northern and northeastern schools. I think this is going to be a really strong field this year. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, and it's you know it's interesting that we we kind of talk about you know Quina Quinnipiac. They they went into North Dakota. They went into North Dakota this year and and they won two games in North Dakota or won two games I believe in North Dakota this year. And I mean that, that's a very experienced senior laden team there at Quinnipiac. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be an interesting. It's the Frozen Four is going to be interesting. I think you see a lot of Minnesotans that think that yes we're back we're fine finally it's our time but i'm just curious here give us your frozen four winner who's gonna who's who's gonna who's gonna win the semis and who's gonna win the final i think we're gonna ultimately end up with the big 10 matchup of minnesota versus michigan um i i, I lean the gophers here they've been one of the best teams all season long um and i just don't see why they can't continue it here so and it's not just bias because you know the the U campus is you know a good twenty minutes away, but I do I do lean with a Big Ten matchup, and I'll take the Gophers over Michigan here. I think that's a fair. I think that's a fair pick. I think that's a fair pick. I would not be surprised to see Quinnipiac make a run. But I would love it, you know, just to break up the break up the whole Big Ten championship thing, and it would be really cool to see, honestly. Absolutely, and they're like one of the smallest schools in in Division One in Division One hockey. And you always, they're not even really known for hockey. They're known for their presidential poll. That's that is what Quinnipiac is known for their presidential poll that they have uh, all year long, voting poll. Uh, so here we are, and you know I've kind of changed this question because I usually ask about who should add hockey to their program, but after seeing all these Big Ten teams in the NCAA tournament this year. And, you know, you know, gosh, Will, tell me if, tell me if I'm being cynical here. I think if you have a self-licking ice cream cone here and you play each other, you could have, have your art, your, your, your pairwise rankings go up and things like that. I'm, I'm very cynical when I say that, but is the NIL and the big 10 network revenues making college hockey really all about the big 10 now? Is it going to be harder for other schools to compete? I know that we're, I'll be fair here and say that good hockey players are everywhere. North Dakota gets a ton of them from Canada. And quite frankly, North Dakota, I'm using my soapbox now, North Dakota is the most disappointing team in college hockey with three returning lines, four graduate transfers, probably the one of the oldest teams in college hockey. And, and they just couldn't quite get, couldn't quite make the NCAA tournament this year. But a lot of people think with this extra cash that the Big Ten has, the Big Ten Network, just the you know the revenues that they get from that that they may be taking over college hockey here. 
Yeah, I think there's a real concern that the gap is going to widen between these Big Ten schools and the rest of these teams. But as you mentioned, yeah, it, that may be the case at the same time. You know, there's a ton of talent out there. They all can't just go to the same teams. And we know that, you know, there is something about going to these schools. Um, and obviously, we, and I'm just going to use, you know, the Twin City or the Minnesota, this Minnesota as a state as an example here. Um, you know, we obviously just recently had Duluth win some national championships. You know, you can say along with Georgia or Alabama that you are a Division One champion. And the chances with, with that are probably going to, you know, lessen a little bit. It can still happen. Could Quinnipiac come out of no, not say out of nowhere, but could Quinnipiac win this? Absolutely. But it, you know, the, all the focus is going to be on the Big Ten because these teams have been, you know, they have all the resources. They can pretty much buy whoever they want now if they really wanted to. It, so, yes, it is a big concern. Um, it, but it, it's not it's not going to be an every year thing. But, you know, give it, you know, here more likely than not, you're going to see a champion for the Big Ten going forward. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I'm with I'm with you. I I still think in my heart of hearts that North Dakota can bring 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 some players and they already have a couple of people going to go and that have signed contracts for next year for the NHL. So they're opening up a few spots. So it's going to be an interesting year up in North Dakota because they're going to have a, a, a lot of new players next year in North Dakota. Jeff, friend, we're transitioning to college basketball. The floor is up here with you. All right. Yeah, we, we've got some things to say about the Final Four. Will, um, you know, they, they said, you know, the, the pundits and national media – uh, said it was a down year for the for the ACC, and you know we get to the Final Four, and you know the ACC only has one team in the Final Four. You know how how are we going to fix that? You know the only uh, Power Five conference to be represented in the Final Four. Can the ACC? And this was a question Matt and I had to change on the fly. But can the ACC get back on its feet next year and get more than one team in the Final Four? This is ridiculous that they've only had nearly 40% of Final Four representatives the last two years. Ooh, I like the snarkiness, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I know you're taking a, a dig at Joe Lenardi in his tweet there, and I totally and I totally liked it. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't know next year is going to be the year that they could – I guess it all depends on what – uh, Isaiah Wong does. He's a junior technically. And I, know, I, I would not be surprised if he at least enters the NBA draft and, you know, keeps his options open. Um, I think, I think he's going to, he's kind of the stir that, 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 or the straw that stirs that drink, i.e. the Miami team. Um, it's, I, there's really, I don't know if there's anybody out, maybe Virginia, but they need, they need to pick up some shooters out of the portal to make this happen. They can't just rely on Isaac McNeely to, you know, hit every three for them. I do think he will play a significant, you know, significantly more next season. Who knows about Duke? They're going to have a really strong recruiting class. But if you follow the recruiters, they're saying that these, this recruiting class, even though it is number two in the country, just the, the talent isn't as good as in years past. Now, Jeremy Roach still has another year. 
we'll see what you know what he can, what he he does. Uh, which of these which of these current uh, crop goes pro? Obviously, a couple of their they have a couple of grad transfers that are gonna they're gonna leave too. So they're kind of in play. obviously UNC is good, is in a major state of flux right now. We really don't want what to think about them. They're going to get Amando Baycott back. They're going to get R.J. Davis back, and they've had what four players enter the portal so far this week. I think you know, and I hope for their sake that Caleb Love decides to go elsewhere because if they run this team back, they're just going to be right in the same spot that they were this season. It's just a bad, it's a bad situation. But as a whole, I don't think the the you know the bottom of the ACC won't be as bad. Louisville's going to be better. We already know that. I mean, they've already done some really good things in recruiting. Picked up, you know, Sky Clark out of the portal, who who was a really talented kid. Um, I think I just I think some of it too is just all about development. The the there are some good developers of talent. Obviously, I you know Tony Bennett is a really good developer of talent. Jim Larinaga, he's developed some of these these players in the you know really good players. Um, just there, I don't know. It's still hard early too early to say about John Shire. If you want to look at on a service surface, you know, they were projected to be what a top 10 to 15 team in the preseason and, you know, make a, you know, make the second weekend of the tournament. Yeah. They, they close strong, but if, if you just look at it from a, from a base standpoint, they kind of underachieved when you really look at it, they, yeah, they won the ACC tournament and, you know, we're on, we're a hot team, but. Uh, they didn't get out of the first weekend, which generally you expect more of. We'll we'll see. I, it's still too early. Hubert Davis again, still too early, but the the signs are not looking very good. Um, who knows what Syracuse is going to be yet? We, we, you know, new coach there. What are they going to do? I actually think Earl Grant of Boston College is a really good talent developer too. It's just he just doesn't have the level of talent that can get him up to another level, but. As far as getting to the final four, you know, circling back to the original question, question, I think it's going to be really hard next year outside of maybe Miami and possibly Virginia. But there's got to be some caveats to that, though. Yeah, really good answer there, Will. Um, I, I think Duke, Duke, I think, has an opportunity to be really good next year. But like you said, a lot depends on who who returns. Um, I mean. You know, th- this year, especially as the season developed, I mean, you could see what a, what a skilled basketball team they were. But then they run up against a Tennessee team, a physically mature team. Um, you know, Rick Barnes. We we know what what Tennessee and what Rick Barnes teams are all about. They're going to be physical with you. They're going to try to impose their will. And especially in that game, you know, Jeremy Roach looked like the they won. Uh, Duke player that was equipped to play. A uh, Proctor played very well in the ha- in that game too in the second half. Um, we don't know how it would have went if Mitchell had been available, but I mean, you give that team uh, a couple of those players return, Proctor, Roach return, they get a little bit, you know, um, add a little bit of weight to themselves, you know, develop physically a little bit more, and you know, with that with that good incoming class, maybe not the elite class like a you know there's there's no um you know uh benchero in that class or zion william but I, I think if a couple people return for duke they have a chance to be really good um a question about virginia um did you have the opportunity to see the um 
I call it a hatchet job. The hatchet job from Pat Forty from Yahoo.com after Virginia's loss to to Furman. Uh, you know, he he seemed to take particular enjoyment in writing about Tony Bennett and and really, you know, really criticizing, well, astonishingly so, but criticizing Tony Bennett and his tenure. Um, you know, call the national championship a kind of a one-hit wonder. Um, I, I don't know how you call a national championship that. But, you know, considering, you know, what we saw in this tournament, it it it, it seemed to be an unfair shot at Tony. Bennett. Oh, and can I add on to that, too? Like, mm-hmm. he didn't really say anything, you know, about, uh, you know, Mr. Painter from Purdue. I'm sorry. Go. No, um, I was I ha- I personally have Pat Forty muted from my Twitter, so I don't see anything he says just because, you know, he is a hack job journalist. I don't take much stock into what he says. He's been, you know, doing this for, I don't know how many, it feels like going back to like maybe around the time of that elite eight game against Syracuse. I couldn't remember when he really started this vendetta. I don't know if, if Tony didn't grant him an interview or what, but I don't know what, what his deal is. And you look at, and he talks about, you know, all the, what's going on ever since what the UMBC game, you know, obviously lose being the first one to lose to a 16 then winning the title and then losing in 21 as a four seed. But I can, I could throw caveats out to all these. Obviously the Deandre Hunter was out for the UMBC game. They literally, the 21 team literally had one practice uh, before that game against Ohio, because there, we didn't even know until the morning of that they were even going to play because, because of COVID. There was a, they remember they got, they had to leave the ACC tournament in 21 because of the, the positive COVID test. Um, and who knows how, how they would have, how they would have done there. I don't know if they would have won it, probably not, but we at least had a shot. Um, and then this year, uh, <clears throat> obviously last year they didn't make the tournament. And then this year they obviously lost again to a four seed. And obviously Ben Vanderplas wasn't playing in that game either. They, they didn't have a, you know, they, they haven't had their full complement of players. And that has been an issue for some reason for Virginia going back, you know, quite a few years, probably about 2014 or so. Um, but the thing of it is, is you can do all this stuff all you want, but the, but what he has done at a school like Virginia, which outside of when Ralph Sampson was there and the, the year after they haven't done a whole lot. Yeah, they made a couple of uh, you know, they they might make a one off like Sweet Sixteen Elite Eight run, but they have not had the consistent level of success uh, in this program's history since you know ever until Tony Bennett came in, and it's really 2014 when it all started when they um, won the ACC tournament that year, and you know they've been consistently making tournaments pretty much ever since. Yeah, the only thing is, I would say, is the, the talent level has dropped off a little bit, um, and you know, Ke- you know, Kia Clark's going to be gone, so that's going to be kind of weird watching Virginia basketball next season. But you look at hopefully these these two stick around. Um, they had two freshmen who were top one hundred players that redshirted this year, um, and Isaac Trout and Leon Bond, who a lot of people inside the program think are going to be you know really good players. Um, they're going to fill, fill some needs for this team next year. 
Now, like I said earlier, they need they need help. They need some more shooting. They need you know guards that can shoot you know north of thirty five percent from the field. They did pick up a guy out of the transfer portal from Georgetown, you know, during the season, but he shoots below thirty percent from from three for his career. That's not that's not what a very good. I mean, he probably start in potentially start next year. I, I don't. I haven't thought that far ahead yet. I mean, we still got seven plus months before the next se- next uh the next you know season starts and you know there could be some players that leave the program you know between now and then and you know new ones come in it's too early to say but i, I but yeah i i advise everyone to just not read what he says because he's do just he's kind of a, you know doing it for the engagement That is sound advice, I would say, Will. Uh, I, he's not someone I really paid much attention, but that one did catch my uh, attention. And uh, I think that is, that'd be, uh, that's going to be wise on my part, just to ignore anything else uh, Pat Forty uh, writes. You, you write something that far out of touch, and um, yeah, I'm not paying attention to you anymore. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. All right. And yeah, there, I don't. He used to be a good writer at one point. That's the thing. Yeah, I mean, there, we can go into this a little bit during the, the open mic, but I mean, there's a couple guys, you know, out there that you know really were were on their game for a lot of years and have kind of just fallen in love with their own, you know, their own voice and their own you know, perceived intelligence these days to, to where it's like, you know, I can't even, you, you know, listen to what you have to say regarding any topic whatsoever, because you're just completely out of touch. And, and, um, you know, Pat Forty has shown himself to be at least one um, with that article on Tony Bennett, but uh, now enough time on, on, on Pat Forty there. Uh, let's look at the NCAA men's basketball tournament. Uh, we have got a really intriguing Final Four. If last year's uh, tournament was the Blue Blood Special uh, with with Kansas, uh, North Carolina, and Duke, I think one Villanova, the other Final Four team last yeah, year, I if I'm remembering right. right. Uh, that was like the, that was the Blue Blood Final Four. This this year is, you know, um, it, it it's I, I would say I, th- I, I put UConn. They are they're a Blue Blood. They're Blue Blood. I mean, come on, they've won four national titles in the last 25 years going for a fifth. Um, so I, I think you've got one blue blood in there, but you've, you've also got San Diego State, you've got Florida Atlantic, and you've got the Miami Hurricanes in there. Uh, who wins these final four matchups and who wins the national title? Yeah, this is such an intriguing uh, final four. And, I, and I, this is why the NCAA tournament is so cool. Um, you've got a nine seed in Florida Atlantic who was trailing Memphis with like five seconds left. You've got like UConn who was up double, who was trailing by, I think they were down double digits at one point against Iona in the first round. You've got you know, San Diego State who a lot of people thought were, you know, were going to be like the popular 512 upset. I mean, I get, I get it. And then uh, Miami who, who was another popular 512 upset. And a lot of people thought that because, you know, a lot of people didn't think Norchad O'Meara was going to play after injuring himself in the ACC tournament. And I'll admit, I picked Drake in that first round game because of that, because I didn't think he was going to play. 
um, you know, you know, a nine, two fives and a four. This is a, this is a really cool final forward. It's a, this is why Matt March Madness is so cool. And I, and I sent this tweet out earlier today and I'm like, as much as people, uh, the, the people will make you think it, there is no way you're ever going to get a Mountain West team play a conference USA team for the chance to win a national championship. This is why March Madness is so much fun. Now, as for the games, I like San Diego State to be Florida Atlantic. I, I just one of the things that's really stood out to me about this Aztecs team is their defense is just suffocating, and they have suffocated everyone they've played. We saw, you know, they their teams are teams are shooting less than twenty percent from three against them, and we've seen Alabama, who is basically you know nothing but threes and layups, and they could not do anything against the San Diego state team because their defense is so good. Um, Florida Atlantic is a really cool story, obviously being the nine seed getting, you know, getting through beating uh, fairly Dickinson in the second round, then getting, getting through all the way to the final four, that game against Kansas state was one of the best game, probably the best game of the tournament. In my opinion, that was just so much fun. Um, just so much clutch shot making. Obviously Marquise Noel was probably the star of the tournament. Uh, that was just a really, really fun game. They, I mean, they are the thing is, Florida State Atlantic's a good three point shooting team, but you know, like I said, San Diego State is suffocating teams from three. And if unless Florida Atlantic can get hot, they probably don't don't have much of a chance. Now, I do like their uh, their big in the middle, um, Vlad Golden. I believe it's either Golden or Bolden. I forget his name, but they, they have the big guy in the middle who I think could do a little something inside, but. Again, unless they start to shoot like 40, 50% from three, I think San Diego State's going to win this one. I got UConn over Miami as much as I were an ACC podcast. And yeah, I, I love Miami getting there because Jim Laranaga is such a good coach. And he's, he's, you know, the, he's the cool grandpa that everybody likes. He's, he's an amazing coach still in his 70s. The thing of it is, I just feel like this is going to be, this could be a bad matchup for them. They don't really have the bigs inside the to go after um, Sanogo and their other center um, uh, Donovan Klingen. They've got you know two, I guess six nine two forty five guy and a, a seven footer, and their guards are really good too. Tristan Newton, Jordan Hawkins, Audrey Jackson are really really good guards too, and I think and I think their their defense is going to be really hard to uh, really hard for Miami to get now. The, the thing of it is, is Miami's defense has still has been kind of a bugaboo for them for this whole season. It hasn't caught them yet, but you know, you look at the defense, the I've got Kim Palm in front of me here and you look at the defensive rankings of the four teams, you've got UConn at number 11, San Diego state at number four, Florida Atlantic at 29 and Miami ranked 104th. Yeah, that's solid, but it's not great either. Yes. They're the number five offensive team. But you can only, you know, do, you know, score so many points and then not be able to stop. That's my biggest concern. And with the way UConn's been shooting in this tournament, especially what they did to Gonzaga, who, boy, I, I, I just don't see Miami getting past them. And then I have UConn beating San Diego State in, in, a, in the championship game. And I think that could be an interesting matchup, too. But I, but I, because I feel like their bigs are going to be, uh, a big deal, but I feel like with the way their offense is running, I just I just don't know if San Diego State could keep up with them. 
All right, very good, Will. Matthew, I'm going to turn it over to you for our open mic segment. Open mic, what do you got for us, Will? <clears throat> so, you know, not going to be too long with this. I'm I'm just excited for warmer weather to start to start to start because we can start thinking about spring football, which, you know, some of the the spring games are going to be coming up real soon. Um you know, we're going to start talking, you know, we can start thinking ahead a little bit to football season. I mean, obviously we still got baseball season, uh, college baseball going on. That's been really fun. I know the ACC is doing really well in that. Um, yeah, obviously, you know, warmer weather here, here up in Minnesota would be great. You know, get rid of the rest of the snow. Um, but yeah, we're, I'm really excited to, uh, you know, look ahead the, the football season. I know, I, I know I'm going to be back here again real soon to preview Virginia football. It's going to be, not going to lie, it's going to be, it might be a little tough given where we last left them, but, you know, it's going to be an interesting, interesting little, uh, interesting little subject. Very good, Will. Jeff, what do you got for us? The floor is yours. Yeah, let's let's uh, talk for a second about a, a certain Joe Lenardi who took several shots yesterday at the at the ACC and um, Miami and Isaiah Wong. Um, you know, he he tweeted out yesterday. You know, the ACC, if they're complaining about bids and all this, they just need they need to get better and they need to get better players. And then he takes a, a shot, you know, by saying the last three ACC players of the year were Moses Wright, Alondis Williams, and Isaiah Wong. You know, before the pandemic, you're right, Malcolm Brogdon, Marvin Bagley, Zion Williamson. Uh, I mean, you look at that list, you know, these, these are – you know, almost some of them were almost generational players. Uh, you know, they're they're NBA superstars, and and that, but that's tremendous disrespect to to you know the previous to the recent players of the year, and in particular Isaiah Wong, who we saw today against Texas, um, score 12 points in the second half and help lead Miami to a comeback win over. Um, a really good Texas team. And, and, you know, by the way, Texas, you know, they need to just go ahead and hire Terry. They, I mean, they are so well coached. Um, even with, with, with their big man out today, I mean, they were an absolute test for, for Miami and, and played really well. But I think Lenardi is now, you know, he's kind of entered that territory, you know, as we talked about 40, who's just kind of, kind of uh, become in love with his own opinions and, you know what he has against the ACC. I'm I'm not really sure. I, I don't know if someone maybe didn't grant him an interview or was wasn't. I don't know. You know, said something to him in the past or. But here here are the numbers and here here are the facts of the last couple of years. And I'm not arguing that the ACC is the best basketball conference in the country. Um, you know, top to bottom, no one would argue that. You know, we're all pro ACC guys, and no one would say that. We're not saying they should have got nine bids or anything like that. Um, you know, but the national perception that this was like the seventh or eighth best conference in, in America, you know, were, were absolutely false. Um, you had computer metrics um, dragged down by the bottom of the conference with, with Louisville and Florida State having, you know, in particular Louisville having a historically bad year. Um, you know, and when you when you group those metrics together from all 
all the teams, you know, it, it, it drags you down. It, it just simply does. Um, but when you look at the head-to-head results, I mean, ACC played 25 games. And I think I might have mentioned this on the podcast in the past, but, you know, ACC played 25 games with the Big Ten um, and had a winning record. So I, I don't know how you can evaluate, you know, conferences any more than head-to-head. Um, but, you know, we're looking through these advanced analytics to compare them, uh, you know, and, and the head-to-head results are right there. Uh, and then you look at what the conference has done the last two years in the ACC, uh, won 70% of their NCAA tournament games, 21-9, and nine, three Final Four teams, uh, four Elite Eight teams took out two number one seeds Baylor last year um Houston this year by Miami they beat a two seed um there's no other power five conference that that can match the ACC record wise um and so I think what happens is you know these analysts begin to have they struggle they struggle with their analytics when their analytics don't work out the way they they expected and it really reminds me of a couple years ago a couple years ago when when Bill Connolly you know he was going to go to the grave on his analytics that that Alabama team that lost by four touchdowns to Clemson would have beat Clemson seven out of seven times I mean he tweeted it after the game or six out of seven times and he's going to the grave with that and uh you know they just they just refuse to believe what their eyes what happens on the field of play what their eyes are telling them um so you know we saw Jim Phillips make comments this weekend that he was going to try to figure out you know how to try to change the ACC uh narrative on basketball and you know this kind of thing results in 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 poor seeds it results in fewer teams than than should have been in the NCAA tournament i mean a uh, I know Clemson, you know, did not do a good job of making an argument for themselves by losing to Moorhead State in the first round of the NIT. But, um, you know, you go 14 and six in the ACC, you should have got a bid into the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, ACC champion Duke being a five seed. I mean, that that would have been unheard of in the past. Uh, um, even Virginia probably being the lowest, you know, they were in if, if Alabama was the number one seed of the tournament, you had Virginia. Who had wins over Baylor, Illinois, at Michigan, co-ACC champs being the lowest-ranked four seed, um, you know, in the tournament. So I mean, it's things like that that do affect, you know, what happens in these tournaments. So I would, I mean, I would just say, like, look, look at what happens, what happens on the court. I mean, I, I definitely agree. There's value in analytics. You have to have ways to evaluate these teams. Um, that's for sure. But I think it's created a, a lazy reliance on them where I'm not even sure a lot of these analysts are even watching the games. They're going straight to their their analytics when they're trying to evaluate teams. And it's it's making them look pretty bad when it comes to March. <laughs> that That's my rant. That's my open mic for t- tonight. I just want to interrupt with two things real quick, just to kind of kind of piggyback on some stuff. And the first part, first part about about the analytics you mentioned, I, I was this kind of triggered something in my memory when I saw it the other day on Twitter, when um, after the sweet 16 game, when UConn blew out, they beat Arkansas by 23, but the shot quality account says that based on the shot quality, Arkansas should have won. I'm like, what? Like, this is where I feel like it, it, it goes a little too far 
like the way I saw that game is just UConn just smoked them. I mean, there's nothing, there's not, I didn't see anything in that game that would have led me to believe that, that Arkansas had, had any chance. They were just so much better that night. And then secondly, just on what you're kind of piggybacking, what you're the, the kind of gen, the idea, the, the whole idea of what you were talking about there, you know, AC, you know, Com- Commissioner Phillips talked about, you know, the, the, the narrative of this league and he wanted to meet with some of the coaches and ADs on it. So what exactly is, is that going to accomplish? I mean, tell them to do better. I mean, they're doing the best they can. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out what exactly the message is going to come out of that. Cause I don't see anything that he can do personally. That's going to, you know, at this point, that's going to really make any effect. I mean, you can go up to, you know, Brad Brunell and tell him not, not to lose to Moorhead state or, or, you know, a bad South Carolina or loyal team, but easier said than done. You can tell Louisville to not be the worst version of the of the team a team that they've ever had. Easier said than done. I just don't get what this is going to accomplish. Yeah, I'm with you there on on Will. I mean, I'm glad he said something, but it probably would have made more sense to say something, you know, before the selection committee or right a right a selection show or right after the selection show than than three weeks later. Um, but I also don't know exactly what he can do by 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 meeting with them. <laughs> but at least we know he's uh, he's out there. He said something finally. That's what Matthew and I have been saying for a while. Like, we is, know, is Jim Phillips even yeah, around? Yeah, we know What's he's he alive doing? now. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'll just be real brief with my open microphone. Um, the ACC uh, women's basketball teams have done pretty well here. You had three teams that hit to the, hit the Elite Eight. Unfortunately, uh, earlier earlier today, uh, LSU defeated Miami. Right now, as we speak, Iowa and Louisville are playing right now, and Louisville's down by five points with about a little under eight to go in the second quarter. So they still have a chance to – they still have a chance to get to the final four. And then if you go to tomorrow, Maryland is playing South Carolina. And that 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 all that that itself, quite frankly, has the feel of a final four matchup because those teams are so, just so good. But only one of those teams will advance. And I'm just I'm I'm expecting South Carolina to advance to the final four. And in the second matchup, the evening matchup, the nightcap, it's Ohio State and Virginia Tech. And I actually think Virginia Tech can win that game. So I think there's I still think there's an opportunity as we speak here to see two uh, ACC teams in the final four, I think, which would be, I got, I think, which would be, that would be pretty cool. So I, you know, and, and, you know, regardless, I'm rooting against LSU. So I'll take everybody else because I don't want LSU to win because I think the LSU coach is an awful person. I'm sorry to say that. Yeah. Don't be, you're not wrong though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, Will, thank you for joining us tonight on the All Sports Discussion ACC podcast. And I guess for our listeners out there, we've never done this before, and we're having it. We're having repeal. Uh, we're having Will back as a repeat guest in two in two weeks. We're off next week, but he's coming back in two weeks. 
And we've never done this in our tenure here, and I'm looking forward to it because it's fun. So, Will, thank you for coming back. You're coming back yeah. to preview UVA football for 2020. Yeah, wow, 2023. I'm already. I got to get ourselves in the groove of that now, all right? <laughs> thank you for joining us, and thank you for coming back, Will. Yep, appreciate it, guys. We appreciate you, sir. Yep, appreciate it, guys. We'll talk soon. All right. Have a great week, guys. Take care. Right. Later, guys.